Chapter Fourteen of The Bent Twig by Dorothy Canfield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen Higher Education. To anyone who is familiar with state university life, the color of Sylvia's freshman year will be vividly conveyed by the simple statement that she was not invited to join a fraternity. To anyone who does not know state university life, no description can convey anything approaching an adequate notion of the terribly determinative significance of that fact. The statement that she was invited to join no sorority is not literally true, for in the second semester, when it was apparent that none of the three leading fraternities intended to take her in, there came a late bid from one of the third-rate sororities of recent date composed of girls like Sylvia, who had not been included in the membership of the older, socially distinguished organizations. Cut to the quick by her exclusion from the others, Sylvia refused this tardy invitation with remorseless ingratitude. If she were not to form one of the swell set of college, at least she would not proclaim herself one of the jays, the grinds, the queer girls who wore their hair straight back from their foreheads, who invariably carried off Phi Beta Kappa, whose skirts hung badly, whose shoe heels turned over as they walked, who stood first in their classes, whose belts behind made a practice of revealing large white safety pins, and whose hats, even disassociated from their dowdy wearers and hanging in the cloakroom, were of an almost British eccentricity. Nothing of this sort could be alleged against Sylvia's appearance, which she felt, as she arrayed herself every morning, to be all that the most swagger frat could ask of a member. Aunt Victoria's boxes of clothing, her own nimble fingers, and passionate attention to the subject, combined to turn her out a copy, not to be distinguished from the original, of the daughter of a man with an income five times that of her father. As she consulted her mirror, it occurred to her also, as but an honest recognition of a conspicuous fact that her suitable and harmonious toilets adorned a person as pleasing to the eye as any of her classmates during the last year of her life at home she had shot up very fast and she was now a tall slender presence preserved from even the usual touching and delighted awkwardness of seventeen by the trained dexterity and strength with which she handled her body as muscular for all its rounded slimness as a boy's. Her hair was beautiful, a bright chestnut brown with a good deal of red, its brilliant gloss broken into innumerable highlights by the ripple of its waviness. And she had one other positive beauty, the clearly penciled line of her long, dark eyebrows, which ran up a trifle at the outer ends with a little quirk, giving an indescribable air of alertness and vivacity to her expression. Otherwise, she was not at that age, nor did she ever become so explicitly handsome as her sister Judith, who had at every period of her life a head as beautiful as that on a Greek coin. But when the two were together, although the perfectly adjusted proportions of Judith's proud dark face brought out the irregularities of Sylvia's, disclosed the tilt of her small nose, made more apparent the disproportionate width between her eyes, and showed her chin to be of no mold in particular. Yet a modern eye rested with 
far more pleasure on the older sister's face. A bright, quivering mobility, like sunshine on water, gave it a charm which was not dependent on the more obvious prettiness of a fine-grained white skin, extremely clear brown eyes, and a mouth quick to laugh and quiver, with pure, sharply cut outline and deeply sunk corners. Even in repose, Sylvia's face made Judith seem unresponsive, and when it lighted up in talk and laughter, it seemed to give out a visible light. In contrast, Judith's beautiful countenance seemed carved out of some very hard and indestructible stone. And yet, in spite of this undeniably satisfactory physical outfit and preeminent ability in athletics, Sylvia was not invited to join any of the best fraternities. It is not surprising that there was mingled with her bitterness on the subject a justifiable amount of bewilderment. What did they want? They recruited, from her very side in classes, girls without half her looks or cleverness. What was the matter with her? She would not for her life have given a sign to her family of her mental sufferings, as, during that first autumn, day after day went by with no sign of welcome from the social leaders of her new world, but a mark was left on her character by her affronted recognition of her total lack of success in this. Her first appearance outside the sheltering walls of her home, her first trial by the real standards of the actual world of real people, the fact which would have been balm to Sylvia's vanity had she ever had the least knowledge of it, was that upon her appearance in the freshman class she had been the occasion of violent discussion and almost of dissension in the councils of the two best fraternities. Her beauty, her charm, and the rumors of her excellence in tennis had made a flutter in the first fraternity meetings after the opening of the autumn term. The younger members of both Sigma Beta and Alpha Kappa counseled early and enthusiastic rushing of the new prize, but the juniors and seniors, wise in their day and generation, brought out a number of damning facts which would need to be taken into consideration if Sylvia wore their pen. There were, in both fraternities, daughters of other faculty families who were naturally called upon to furnish inside information. They had been brought up from childhood on the tradition of the Marshalls' hopeless queerness, and their collective statement of the Marshalls' position ran somewhere as follows. The only professors who have anything to do with them are some of the J. Young profs from the West with no families. The funny old LaRue's, you know what a hopeless dowd Madame LaRue is, and Professor Kennedy. And though he comes from a swell family, he's an awful freak himself. They live on a farm like farmers at the ends of the earth from anybody that anybody knows. They are never asked to be patrons of any swell college functions. None of the faculty ladies with any social position ever call on Mrs. Marshall, and no wonder. She doesn't keep any help, and when the doorbell rings she's, she's as apt to come running in from the chicken house with rubber boots on and a basket of eggs and the queerest clothes, like a costume out of a book, and they never have anybody to wait on the table, just jump up and down themselves, you can imagine what kind of a frat tea or banquet Sylvia would give in such a home. And, of course, if we took her in, we couldn't very well tell her her family's so impossible. 
we wouldn't want their connection with, with the frat known and the students who go there are a perfect collection of all the jays and grinds and freaks in college it's enough to mark you one to be seen there you meet all the crazy guys you see in classes and never anywhere else and of course that wouldn't stop when sylvia's frat sisters began going there and their house wouldn't do at all to entertain in it's queer no rugs dingy old furniture nothing but books everywhere even in their substitute for a parlor and you're likely to meet not only college freaks but worse ones from goodness knows where there's a beer-drinking old monster who goes there every sunday to play the fiddle that you wouldn't have speak to you on the street for anything in the world and the way they entertain my in such a countrified way some of the company go out into the kitchen to help mrs marshall serve up the refreshments and everything home-made and they play charades and nobody knows what else bean-bag or spelling down maybe this appalling picture which in justice to the young delineators must be conceded to be not in the least overdrawn was quite enough to give pause to those impetuous and immature young sophomores who had lacked the philosophical breadth of vision to see that sylvia was not an isolated phenomenon but since her family live in la chance an inseparable part of her background after all the sororities made no claim to be anything but social organizations their standing in the college world depended upon their social background and of course this could only be made up of a composite mingling of those of their individual members fraternities did not wish to number more than sixteen or eighteen undergraduates that meant only four or five to be chosen from each freshman class and that number of nice girls was not hard to find girls who were not only well dressed and lively and agreeable in themselves but who came from large well-kept well-furnished houses on the right streets of la chance with presentable card-playing call-paying reception-giving mothers who hired caterers for their entertainments and respectably absentee fathers with sizable pocketbooks and a habit of cash liberality the social standing of the coeds in state universities was already precarious enough without running the risk of acquiring dubious social connections if sylvia had been a boy it is almost certain that the deficiencies of her family would have been overlooked in consideration of her potentialities in the athletic world success in athletics was to the men's fraternities what social standing was to the girls it must be remarked parenthetically that neither class of these organizations had the slightest prejudice against high scholastic standing on the contrary it was regarded very kindly by fraternity members as a desirable though not indispensable addition to social standing and physical prowess but sylvia was not a boy and her fine promising game of tennis her excellence in the swimming pool and her success on the gymnasium floor and on the flying rings served no purpose but to bring to her the admiration of the duffers among the girls whom she despised and the unspoken envy of the fraternity girls whose overtures at superficial friendliness she constantly rebuffed with stern wounded pride the sharpest stab to her pride came from the inevitable publicity of her ordeal for 
though her family knew nothing of what that first year of out in the world meant to her she had not the consolation of hoping that her condition was not perfectly apparent to everyone else in the college world at the first of the year all gatherings of undergraduates not in fraternities hummed and buzzed with speculations about who would or would not be taken by the leading fraternities for every girl who was at all possible each day was a long suspense beginning in hope and ending in listlessness and for sylvia in an added shrinking from the eyes of her mates which were she knew fixed on her with a relentless curiosity which was torture to one of her temperament she had been considered almost sure to be early invited to join alpha kappa the frat to which most of the faculty daughters belonged and all during the autumn she was aware that when she took off her jacket in the cloakroom a hundred glances swept her to see if she wore at last the coveted emblem of the pledged girl and when an alpha kappa girl chanced to come near her with a casual remark she seemed to hear a significant hush among the other girls followed by an equally significant buzz of whispered comment when the fraternity member moved away again this atmosphere would have made no impression on a nature either more sturdily philosophic or more unimaginative than sylvia's judith for instance was not in the least affected by the experience but it came to be a morbid obsession of this strong healthy active-minded young creature it tinged with bitterness and blackness which should have been the crystal-clear cup holding her youth and intelligence and health she fancied that every one despised her she imagined that people who were in reality quite unaware of her existence were looking at her and whispering together a wondering discussion as to why she was not in the swim as such a girl ought to be all girls worth their salt were above all she was stung into a sort of speechless rage by her impotence to do anything to regain the decent minimum of personal dignity which she felt was stripped from her by this constant play of bald speculation about whether she would or would not be considered good enough to be invited into a sorority if only something definite would happen if there were only an occasion on which she might in some way proudly proclaim her utter indifference to fraternities and their actions if only the miserable business were not so endlessly drawn out she threw herself with a passionate absorption into her studies her music and her gymnasium work cut off both from the elect and from the multitude a proudly self-acknowledged maverick she never lacked admiring followers among less brilliant girls who would have been adorers if she had not held them off at arm's length but her vanity far from being omnivorous required more delicate food she wished to be able to cry aloud to her world that she thought nothing and cared nothing about fraternities and by incessant inner absorption in this conception she did to a considerable extent impose it upon the collective mind of her contemporaries she the yearningly friendly sympathetic sensitive praise-craving sylvia came to be known half respected and half disliked as proud and clever and highbrow and offish and conceited and so queer that she cared nothing for the ordinary pleasures 
of ordinary girls. This reputation for a high-browed indifference to commonplace mortals was naturally not a recommendation to the masculine undergraduates of the university. These young men, under the influence of reports of what was done at Cornell and other more eastern coeducational institutions, were already strongly inclined to ignore the coeds as much as possible. The tradition was growing rapidly that the proper thing was to invite the town girls to the college proms and dances, and to sit beside them in the grandstand during football games. As yet, however, this tendency had not gone so far but that those coeds who were members of a socially recognized fraternity were automatically saved from the neglect which enveloped all others but exceptionally flirtatious and undiscriminating girls. Each girl's fraternity, like the masculine organizations, gave one big hop in the course of the season and several smaller dances, as well as lawn parties and teas and stagecoach parties to the football games. The young men naturally wished to be invited to these functions, the increasing elaborateness of which kept pace with the increasing sophistication of life in La Chance, and the increasing cost of which made the parents of the girls groan. Consequently, each masculine fraternity took care that it did not incur the enmity of the organized and socially powerful sororities. But Sylvia was not protected by this aegis. She was not invited during her freshman year to the dances given by either the sororities or the fraternities, and the large scattering crowd of masculine undergraduates were frightened away from the handsome girl by her supposed haughty intellectual tastes. Here again her isolation was partly the result of her own wish. The raw-boned, badly-dressed farmer's lads, with red hands and rough hair, she quite as snobbishly ignored as she was ignored in her turn by the well-set-up, fashionably-dressed young swells of the university, with their white hands, with their thin, gaudy socks, tautly pulled over their ankle-bones, and their shining hair glistening like lacquer on their skulls, that being the desideratum in youthful masculine society of the place and time. Sylvia snubbed the masculine jays of college partly because it was a breath of life to her battered vanity to be able to snub someone, and partly because they seemed to her, in comparison with the smart set, seen from afar, quite and utterly undesirable. She would rather have no masculine attentions at all than such poor provender for her feminine desire to conquer. Thus, she trod the leafy walks of the beautiful campus alone, ignoring and ignored, keenly alive under her shell of indifference to the brilliant young men and their chosen few feminine companions. End of chapter 14